Gaming on the Frontier. This is Bruce. This is Trav. This is Jonathan. Welcome to Gaming on the Frontier, your podcast of finding out that you have all these relatives who have just now started to camp at your door. Thanksgiving is going to get really, really weird. Right. Thanks for joining us here at uh, Gaming on the Frontier. This week we are talking about Bureau 13 and, uh, well, there's just a lot uh, in every edition of Bureau 13, there has been a list uh, of monsters, opponents, enemies, threats, whatever you want to say. And they've been listed in the game. And for you, the, the GM and the players, of course, to use in your adventures to make as many adventures as you can make from them. And, of course, bring in your own monsters and such. Okay. However... It seems to me that in the history of playing this game for a very, very long time, uh, usually people don't play most of the monsters, and I've uh, and I don't know why. I, I think maybe it's just you know everybody has different things that they resonate with, and so we wanted to talk about some of the other options you have that you may not have you know realized are really fun options. You know, I can't recall ever using a famous ghost. Have you guys ever done that? I did do one. Um, now, I wouldn't say, okay, I would say locally famous. There was okay. a, and, and this is in my hometown of Belleville, Michigan. There was the Denton Road Bridge where supposedly a young couple and their baby got killed and the baby came back as a ghost and was affecting things. And so I put that in a very early yeah, it was a very, I believe it was my very early days in the current campaign, where, you know, the characters are like third level. I gave them simple missions. It's like, yeah, you go here to, you know, the small town outside Detroit, and, you know, check out this ghost here, this bridge. It's causing trouble for the local inhabitants. So, yeah, I've used, not local, like, nationally famous ghost. I, I went along the line of, um like, cryptid level folklore, kind of. So around here, you know, in western Wayne County, yeah, if you talk about the Denton Road Bridge, yeah, there, there are people who know about it. So yeah, I, I kind of went that route. So yeah, I've used local ghosts as a, like a small-time adventure for lower-level characters. I can't say I ever used any famous ghosts, although now I, just the idea has popped into my head of having old uh, Abraham Lincoln show up and say, ah, so it was a good idea when I for formed your organization. Good. <laughs> I like what you did here, yeah. Good, good to see that we're you're still keeping the faith. <laughs> All right, now, uh, uh, I've had a lot of fun with form shifters. Uh, the, uh, uh, I, I, you know, as a matter of fact, uh, in, in one of the more recent adventures, we had a group of form shifters who were keeping uh, uh, Bureau Thirteen Earth from being invaded by a uh, race of uh, man-made life, basically, you know, uh, bioengineered combat monsters. And they were coming through a staging, uh, basically, pocket stop. Not use, it's, that's not, not fringe-worthy, but they had their own little uh, interdimensional bubble, and they were staging in there, and they would come out, and they were, like, attacking, and it just happened to be that this... And this army base that was, you know, had like nuclear missiles. This was back in the in the fifties. Uh, they uh, they had somebody who was a shapeshifter who could not be harmed by normal weapons, and uh, and ended up killing all of the combat monsters. <laughs> they were like just mowing down all the regular humans, and he brought his tribe over to. Uh, stay at that location after they basically shuttered the entire base 
because you know everybody got killed except for one guy, and um, he, he he said, "Well, if you let me stay there, I can make sure that never happens again." And so, for the last half a century, they've been watching the place where these guys come from, and every so often they'll send a couple scouts out. And they get and, and they would kill them. Well, the bureau goes there and just get just just does their very best to kill all the shapeshifters. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and they have a whole thing going back and forth with that, you know. And the shapeshifters can change into all kinds of things. One, they can turn into birds, and not not that they can change into anything. It's like some of them can turn into birds, some can turn into uh, bears, some can turn into other things. So um, the uh, and the fact is that one person who was there had a magic weapon, which is the only reason why they were able to, you know. That's how they got them on their bad side. They actually killed one of them. And they're all like, oh, what is these people killing one of ours? That's my family members. It'd be like, your Aunt Catherine just got killed by a bunch of guys. He says, you know, you know what, from the portal? No, they came in from the highway. We don't know who they are. It's like, whoa, time to do the smackdown. And then, you know, anyways, meanwhile... <laughs> They're coming. They're they're coming to the the agents are coming to investigate these weird guys that were actually came out of the portal that they killed and they and their bodies were discovered and uh, uh, because of because of something and um, and so they were investigating and so they're now getting the whole thing and so eventually they end up getting through the portal fighting it with the other ones you know resolving the situation finally. Though badly, because now, uh, uh, before, you know, they, they, they basically sent the, uh, they basically told them, they said, is that if we send the failure signal back to our bosses, they'll come with, they'll basically come back with something tougher. So you really should just let us out of here and just let us, you know, live our lives on your world. You know, we, and we'll just not press the button. And they're all like, "Nah, we can't trust you. We're, you know, you're going to have to go." And they end up getting the button pressed. So, <laughs> so somewhere in the future, uh, vast alien armadas may appear in the skies over Earth. You know, because they said, "Well, that didn't work, so let's do it the old-fashioned way of dropping big rocks onto the planet." <laughs> so, and this is where I said so I took I took interdimensional people. And I also combined it with shapeshifters to make a much more complicated situation, which is, you know, always good. That's actually a technique of the, the, uh, oh, uh, the JP Withers, uh, 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 adventure, uh, adventure design rules that were in, uh, oh, uh, Terror Watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically he said, he said, take the, take the list of a hundred plus, roll some dice, roll at least twice, Put, mash them together. Figure out a way to make them work. Now make the agents go and try to figure out what's going on. <laughs> he says it's always better if you work. You know, if you do have an idea and you build it up, it's better. But if you need to, you can actually pull one of these things together in like fifteen to thirty minutes time just by oh, yeah, doing this. At, at the end of the um, the D one hundred list for um, B thirteen D twenty. Yeah. Number 100, Supernatural Encounter. Roll two encounters and add three to 20 rolls from the civilians and organization tables on page 149. Yeah. Right. And just, that, yeah, you, just, yeah. Yeah, that was entirely lifted from JP's. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, no, I'm sure. Yeah, but still, just, yeah. yeah. You could just throw everybody for a loop because they're thinking, okay, it's this problem. Wait a minute. What are these guys doing here? What is this, a convention? Get out of here. You know. Yeah. Yeah, now time travelers are always a pain because they are either from the past and they're basically fish out of water, or they're from the future, and they usually tend to come with a lot of um, agency. And uh, the worst kind of adventures, and I have never, I've never really successfully done it. I've tried and tried, uh, but where you have like time travelers jumping around through time during the adventure, that's almost never seems to work because you get in this whole situation where sometimes the first time you meet them is like the third time they've met you, and you know uh, the whole all oh, the whole eleven in river thing where they're meeting each other 
in that order. One's going yeah. backward in time, the other one's going forward in time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that so, you know, I would recommend that unless you're a better game designer than I am, that you just basically say they came from the future to now for something. You've got to stop them in the here and now, fight them in the here and now, or chase them back where they came from, if there is a way of doing that. Uh, because otherwise, you know, it's it's really, really hard. Uh, the, 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 you, you, your players are going to feel entirely railroaded. Because how could you not railroad this situation? It's, it's not going to have any cohesiveness if you don't. Yeah. So, yeah. And, of course, Portals to Other Places is, you know, uh, you know, fringeworthy. <laughs> okay. But also, uh, you can you sometimes you, uh, you can go to other realms, you know, like uh, Asgard or any of those other places, that you, uh, pocket dimensions. Uh, the whole adventuring... Uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, the adventure in Christmas land that was in the fourth, ep- uh, issue of Terror Watch. Um, oh, my players had Christmas land is, yeah, it's all, it's his own pocket dimension. Uh, it's, you go to, you, you, you go up to the North Pole, you're not going to find anything. But if you go up to the North Pole, properly energized, you'll pass into Christmas land. And then you'll have a whole different adventure. So, and of course, uh, if you have people there who haven't done that, they see you walking around, sometimes above the ground, on the ground, you know, and, you know, with wearing like no parkas, and they're like in sub negative 100 degree temperature storms, and you're walking around, you know, in a, in a, in a light jacket or something, because Christmas land is cold, but it's not bitter cold. It's more like, uh, you know, fun cold, you know, like go out and play snowball cold or go ice skating cold. It's just enough cold to get you out of school. Yeah, you know, yeah, 30 yeah. degrees maybe, you know, 40 degrees, uh, you know, but not like negative 10 with, with, with you know, 40 degree wind chill. You know, uh, Christmas Land's a nicer place than that. So, uh, yeah, so you can do that. It's, uh, but, uh, uh, and of course, uh, Fairylands, uh, some of the realms of the Fae, they're also in their own dimension. So people have a tendency sometimes to accidentally slip over there, sometimes through dreams. There, you may have some guy with some weird science going on who has created some kind of a weakening, and people actually manage to go into another realm, you know, which the GM, you as the GM can have lots of fun making. It could be hell, it could be heaven, it could be you know, whatever kinds of alternate earth or weird thing you want to do. Uh, that's, that's fun to do. And I, and I don't, and I think that's actually done probably more often than, uh, than a lot of the other ones because it, they're, they're usually nicely contained. I mean, you, you, once you shut it off or get away from it, you know, pull the plug, uh, the problem goes away, you know, unless of course something has slipped out, in which case you're going to have a follow up to, to, to deal with. But, you don't have. Well, that's where you get. Well, that's where when you do the portals other places and something gets out. Usually, that's how you get dinosaurs running around in modern day. Right. Because you got the portal other places. It could be like you know Arthur Conan Doyle's The Lost World. Right. You know something like that. That also makes me think of the um, the 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 British uh, TV show Primeval. It wasn't so much portals to other yeah, places a, yep. as other times. But even yeah. then, there was that question: Is is this an alternate timeline or is this our timeline can we change things can we not change and yeah, yeah. if we didn't drop a big nuke I mean, i'm sorry if we didn't drop a big asteroid in the uh uh in, in, down there in central america would dinosaurs still be running around today you know is this really just coming from a parallel uh, world rather than time travel yeah sure all right uh anybody done anything with gypsies uh, I did <clears throat> early on. This would be the um, when I was doing the Bureau Thirteen playtesting with Team Shifter. I had one of the agents was of the Romani, the Roma, and so I tried to bring in Roma esque magic and what. And actually, it's really cool. 
there is, and, and I don't know if Wizards backs this anymore. You might have to go like the Internet Archive or whatever. Okay. Um, All right. The Rennie, the, the Roma-like river folk that were in the Greyhawk setting. Okay, okay. there was a class for a Roma hexcaster called the Vetha. And if I could yeah. remember, if I could get find a way to put a link onto, you know, the fans page to you, that would be a good class to, if you wanted a Roma hex caster, you know, kind of along the lines of, you yeah. know, the movie Thinner, you know. Yeah. Right. Well, it says every group of gypsies uh, has an elder who's adept at minor magics. So, you know, that's... Uh, you should expect it, yeah. Oh, there's also another uh, group. They are like the Roma. They're known as the Irish Travelers. Uh-huh. And it's funny because uh, Pixie's character in my Sunday game, the Time Lords and Magic campaign I'm doing, yeah, she's a Tenza from Doctor Who, so the psychic entity that forms into a human, and but was raised among the Irish Travelers. That's another group kind of like the Roma. And they're they they kind of have the same stereotypes that yeah they do adopt people into their midst but and you don't trust them and they you know they got you know all the bad stereotypes you have of the Roma a lot of them unfortunately fall also with the Irish travelers so you could use that lumped okay. into if you wanted to do something with like a Roma kind of flair to it. Um, they even speak their own variant form of Irish called Shelta. As as I said, we had to research it when Josie made the character. So, but yeah, I right. I, I did use so, Roma, but it was as a player character idea for one of the play testers I had. Okay, so where did you research this from? All sorts of sites about the Roma, and they were they were you know they were the type of sites that were, and I'm 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 dating myself here. They were old, like, GeoCities sites. If you remember those web pages, yeah, that's how long ago. <laughs> uh-huh. It's, it's not going to be lost. I mean, nothing gets really... I mean, things yeah. get misplaced on the internet, but rarely does anything get lost. So, you know, I'm just saying for our listeners, you know, the gypsies are probably something that you might want to do more with because they're humans, you know, and they're not like the full-blown, you know, uh, Win Willow Coven kind of thing. But they have their own mythos, they have their own legends where you could easily make them a mildly supernatural right. group. Right. I mean, they could be, uh, you know, car gypsies, they could be Bruxsters uh, or Bucksters, uh, the people that uh, go around with the uh, various uh, music venues. You know, the roadies. Buskers, is that buskers. the word I'm trying for? Well, buskers, busker is more along the lines of that's just somebody there playing like okay. a guitar or, or whatever in a sub, like on okay. the street or whatever. Well, anyways, I'm just saying though, is that you know uh, where, where you might find groups like this. I was thinking that yeah, you know, you uh, red fairs kind of thing, uh, some of those uh, traveling uh, carnivals, um, uh, music groups that you know might contract a group of people to provide support, you know, they could all be a clan. So, you know, you, there, you might have, you know, every place this one musical group goes, uh, there's, you know, supernatural things happen and, or more often than not. And so the agents go in to try to, you know, confront the, you know, the, uh, the, the music players, the guitarists and the bass guy, you know, uh, what kinds of evil rhythms are you bringing up on those drums there, sir uh, or madam? And uh, they're like, we don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and it's it's uh, it's being done by the help, you know. And so uh, it's it's a way of basically bringing them in uh, and having to deal with them as a larger group than just one or two. Oh yeah, mm, yeah. And if you, you know, and, and one of the things it says is that if you if you make a gypsy your friend, you have a friend for life, and this entire clan is going to be your friend for life, and that could be very helpful. Well, yeah, they kind of adopt you in as family, 
I mean, you're still an outsider, and they and the 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 stereotype is still yeah. They wouldn't want to marry you. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, along the lines of you know, they they would still be like, okay, yeah, your family, but still kind of keep an eye right. on your wallet type thing, even though you're adopted in. Yeah, as I said, there there's a lot of stereotypes involved with the Roma. Yeah, they might and. They might decide to have some children with you because yeah, they want fresh blood, but that doesn't mean that you're ever going to be a true Roma. But you know they'll have your back, and they they yeah the the Roma have had and that was one of the groups that you know Hitler decided you know you'd look good in that concentration camp over there. So the Roma yes. have had to deal with adversity over the over the centuries, and even where in Eastern Europe, gypsies are considered a social blight and fill prisons in bad neighborhoods. Yeah, they in Europe they're 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 just not seen in a good light. Here, you know, we kind of give them the mystique and you know, we hear some of the bad stereotypes and myths and and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, we usually just kind of look at it, well, look, it's those weird people who are always traveling traveling around and never staying for very long. Yeah, right. Yeah. And I think here, I mean, yeah, we as I said, we get just a, like a smattering of what like Europe and and whatnot have of them. And a lot of them did come here to escape all the crap in Europe, so they could be used as a really good uh Bureau 13, not not so much a menace. I mean, they'd make wonderful SMEs because they travel and they would know, like, local legends and people and, like, various cities. Like, let's say you had a bunch of Roma traveling throughout the Midwest. You could sit there and get information, go to the, the local Roma camp, and, yeah, we heard about something over in Wisconsin. Yeah, well, yeah, we were there, you know, last year, and that... I would think that a traveling band of Roma would make a wonderful SME a group for many things. Arcana, religion, local, history, um, what other skills that you could use. But I mean, those four right there, for a bureau agent, that's, those are invaluable knowledge, skills to gain information about. Mm-hmm. I agree. And as I said, if you wanted to put a spin on it, you could research the Irish travelers, which instead of the Roma speaking Romani, the Irish travelers speak Shelta, which is sort of a I guess a variant of Irish Gaelic. I wouldn't say so much corrupted, but they probably picked up a lot of other loan words along the way. That would be just a different variant if you didn't want to go, not make it a walking trope like Esmeralda from the Hunchback of Notre Dame, you know. You know, just if you wanted to throw that little spin, look up the Irish Travelers and it'll give you something. I think they were actually put into like what was it, like a Law and Order episode or something years ago, so that's how a lot of people got introduced to them. That, like, somebody got murdered in one of their camps and so the cops had to come in and deal with, you know, having to deal with this new culture there outside of New York City or whatever, yeah. So it just might be something research different. So, uh, you ever... You guys ever done anything with talking animals? Mm. No, usually the closest I had was like a a were creature that I think it was a were hound that managed to keep its uh, voice fairly well, like it kept most of its memory, so it could approximate uh, speech. Like, okay, <laughs> like kind of oh. a, it pretty much turned him into sh- uh, to Scooby. Oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, okay, all right, yeah. Right. Well, you know, and, and uh, so there are birds that have vocabularies of over 500 words, which is more than some wow. people Wow. And some that are just such good mimickers that all they have to do is hear it a few times and they can re- reproduce right. it almost exactly. But, yeah. But the uh, talking animals, uh, of course, you know, from there, there's, they're rife in legends, you know, in fables and things like that. Um, there are uh, from both the uh, Muslim, Islamic and also the Christian uh, tradition. Supposedly, the the animals in the uh, stable uh, had were able to converse uh, in uh, on Christmas morning, and uh, there's certainly lots of of situations where it was almost commonplace in a lot of the stories of the Arabian Nights for animals to talk to humans and each other. And of course, I'm reading. I'm I'm here looking at it, and of course. I'm reading this in the last line. They never talk when their owner needs them to. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm thinking one thing. Wilbur, come in the room. I need to talk to you. Michigan J. Yeah, that too. Yeah. I, I yes. was going 
I was going Mr. Red, which again, I'm showing my age, but you know, but still, yeah, yeah, Michigan Jake Frog too. Hello, my baby. Hello, my honey. Right. That, and yep, that yep. too. <laughs> right. So, um, and of course, if someone does hear this, of course, uh, you know, dollar signs immediately start rolling in their eyes because an animal that can speak would be very, very valuable, especially if it's a result of some mutation or something else. Uh, now, it can be the result of uh, uh, demonic uh, influence. Uh, it can be a result. It could be a fake creature that's masquerading oh, as an animal. I'm, rem- I'm reminded of, uh, speaking of a creature possessed by a spirit with a mission or a demonic influence. Now, I'm reminded of, and this came out in the 90s, it was the, a, a new version of DC's Dr. Fate. And then you had the bulldog known as Eddie. Now, I forget if it was a dog that somehow the demon merged with it or some spirit or, you know, if it was some spirit trap in an animal form. But yeah, I remember Eddie the bulldog with the one really bulging eye about the size of a softball than the other normal dog size eye. So he's there giving everybody that that wide-eyed leer and everything. It just, it, I, I just remember, because I remember this from that Dr. Fate comic. Dr. Fate's going to town, you know, whooping on, you know, throwing mana, at he- mana from hell, so to speak, at this creature, like, in the Bronx. And the dog, Eddie, it talks normally, and he goes, Moirize the bum! Kent looks down and goes, What, what do you mean by moirize? Eddie looks up, it means kill, but worse. <laughs> This actually makes me think of all the talking cat mentors in anime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, that's a long-running tradition in anime. Or what was the other talking anime, even though it was more an alien? Frank from MIB2. Yeah. And he's there there in the window singing, I will survive. And (laughs) Jay's like, Frank, get out of the window or get rolled up in it. <laughs> as he's there singing, as yeah. There's also uh, yeah. There's also Madoka Magica, which is a Japanese animated series where it's actually an alien. Uh, it looks like a fluffy bunny. Oh, jeez. And it's it's uh, not. It's actually not a good person. All right, let's see here. Uh, yeah. Now here's something. I I was like, you know, number fifty nine, legendary local animals. You know, I have tried very hard to get into this, but it seems like oh, I oh yeah, I use them other than Bigfoot. Oh no, 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 no! It, it come, Bruce, come on. We did the episode two years ago with Shatan War. I mean, cryptids are are wonderful. I I just figured I figured you would have thrown some because every state in the country has a cryptid. I know Michigan has more than a few. We got Zug Island Monster. We got the Michigan uh, Michigan Dog Man. We have um, the Melon Head Men. Uh, yeah, three right there, just in Michigan. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying not to do it. I'm saying that people rarely do. I actually use, and this was another early adventure of Team Candlestick 2.0, the the current Saturday game I'm running. I researched the Jersey Devil. What I had is I had okay after the team all got together. Daniel Stewart, the, the the remaining leader from the first incarnation of the team, decided, I'm going to take you along the East Coast and all of my buddies, so if you can, you know, contact them, you'll know who they are. Well, they stopped off in New Jersey, and I did research on the Jersey Devil, and I found out that if you, you look at a lot of the uh, pictures of what a lot of people say the Jersey Devil are, or what it is, the Paraton, the sort of eagle with a, a deer's head, is very similar to what a lot of the people see the Jersey Devil is. So I had two or three of them in a forest, and occasionally, yeah, we had this person disappear, so the very fledgling Team Candlestick, they're all like level four characters are going up against, you know, a quartet of them. That So, and it was actually, they managed to, and I'm going to use the term that I use with Goth Bunny, and she hates it, diplomatize, and I remember... That's not a word! <laughs> oh, no, I'll tell you about Big Marl sometime, about, yes, we're going to diplomatize an equitable situation for everybody. Oh, Colleen hates that voice. Anyways, um, one of my gamers, in the, and she, she's since left 
Uh, Tracy Worcester, actually one of the co-creators of PenguinCon. She was the one who diplomatized, with air quotes, a deal with the Jersey Devil Quartet there in that forest to not eat people. Yes, we will close off this land, make it federal property where no one can get in, and you guys will be safe. And just so, yeah, no, the Jersey Devil... Folks, if you don't use cryptids in a Bureau 13 campaign, you're missing out. As I said, you can use any state in this country has a cryptid, at least one. And you can go back and check out our cryptids episode with Shatan Noir as a reference point. Well, I was going to say, just to show how easy it is to find, as we started just talking about this, I realized I don't know if my area has a cryptid because I live in uh, North Alabama. So I slinked off to Google, did a search for Alabama cryptid, and sure enough, we have the white thang. <laughs> Told you. <laughs> Apparently, it is a albino Sasquatch. I think I've heard of it, yeah. The white right. thing, and it's an okay. albino Sasquatch. Okay, sure. <laughs> Apparently, yeah. But I'd never heard of it until I went looking, and and yeah, it was right there. So yeah, they're not hard to. You probably can find one easy for your for your local or whatever area your your team is adventuring in. Well, even just your state. Yeah, as I said, I called off three in Michigan alone. I mean, granted, one of them was the Michigan Dogman. Granted, that was made by some Michigan uh, DJ who got bored, but a whole like microcosm came up about it where people, oh no, no, I actually saw something like that up here, and so, yeah, it kind of, it kind of took off on that tangent, but yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, there is a, um, yeah. a photographer who specializes in making up cryptids. Uh, the, the latest one I've heard about was Siren Head. If you guys heard of this? No. Enlighten us, sir. The best I can describe is it is a, a creature, a cryptid-type creature. It lives out in the wilderness. But it's shaped like a telephone pole with a couple of si- uh, loudspeakers on its head. And it can apparently mimic human voices, and it will lure you out into the woods and eat you. <laughs> hmm. Wow. I mean, it's weird and ridiculous, but at the same time, the photographs he, you know, photoshops. Yeah, yeah, see right there, yeah, yeah. And the people who are, are fans of this work and go on and build their own it's almost like the SCP. It's it's kind of a community thing. He he'll come up with the idea, and then other people will take it and expand on it, add their own you know, photographs or videos or, or audio recordings or whatever. And you can easily find if you if you somehow cannot find a cryptid for the area you want to, you could probably find something that you can make fit. And and the thing is, like I said, with the Jersey Devil being equated with the the Paraton. It's in the Monster Manual. It's in the best series for Pathfinder. Hell, the Paratons are even in, you know, the Palladium games for Rips and all that. You can look in the, the their fantasy role-playing game. So a lot of, at least those three, have stats for Paraton. So if you want to do the Jersey Devil, that's set. But a lot of creatures in a lot of best series and Monster Manuals are often based on local American cryptid myths. I mean, you know, they got the Yeti and the Sasquatch. Heck, in uh, D20 Future, the, the race known as the Warren, they basically explain, uh, explain, oh, the Sasquatch? It's the descendants of Warrens that crash-landed on Earth and they degenerated into barbarism. That's why they're walking around like brutes. Never mind at one time they were space-faring travelers. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of the stats for a lot of your monsters, if you look deep enough into the various monster stats of your games, are based, I mean, like, you know, kobolds and gnomes are all based from Celtic European myth, but there's a lot of monsters also based on various other cultures. They've got Asian monsters now in a lot of the bestiaries. The Yao Guai, which is a Chinese demon. So yeah, I mean, I'm sure if you do your research you're going to find a cryptid, stats for a cryptid, in a monster manual or a bestiary somewhere where it'll save you the work of having to go through the whole monster creation process, which can be a bit of a pain if you really got to do your research and figure out how powerful it is. But yeah, um, no, that that's one of the things I, I try to do in a lot of my campaigns. If it's any local-based campaign... I'll throw a cryptid in if they're, like, a low level, because usually cryptids, you're not going to be having, like, epic-level characters going against cryptids. I usually reserve them for, 
oh, these guys are third, fourth, fifth level. It's enough to give them, it's enough to vex them, but it's not going to be a TPK type thing. Cryptids in Bureau 13 are often very good low-level adventure kind of to get, especially if you're a local team, it gives you a flavor of, okay, let's say you are playing, you know, the local Ohio team or the local Michigan team. You research that state's cryptids, and that's a, those type of encounters are really good to build up experience dealing with the supernatural. Because this is stuff that, let's say, if you were all local, let's say it's the local Ohio team, and you've heard about these creatures all your life, and then you find out, you know, you're yelling like Neo when he found, finds the bug. Holy crap, that thing's real! You know, just, you know, you get your player, you know, your players in character will yell that, that because they're realizing, yeah, in the Bureau, we've trained all this, and wait a minute, this monster's been real all this time? Holy crap, you know. Yep. It, 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 it's good um, verisimilitude if you're playing a local Bureau team, like a regional team. Uh-huh. Because then that gives you a wealth of information to go on. You know, Wikipedia is your friend. You know, one of the best places to run to run into this kind of thing is if you have a uh, a team that spends most of its time near the ocean or large bodies of water, like the Great Lakes. Oh or, yeah. Or uh, you know, maybe down New Orleans with its deltas and things like that. Yeah, well, I mean, Minnesota is what the 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 land of a thousand lakes. Well, yeah, that actually that's how I that's how I met Chatanwar. Me and a former friend, uh, one of my former gamers, we sat in at PenguinCon Cryptozoology of the Great Lakes. Right, that's how I met her. Right. Well, <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, one of the categories is sea monsters. Okay, which includes salt, oh, salt yeah. or fresh water, and. Uh, we know that uh, because of the all the people coming over from the uh, old world back in you know the uh, uh, in, in the eighteen hundreds, uh, a lot of supernatural creatures, including aquatic, migrated across the ocean over to America, and it's quite possible for there still to be you know uh, groups of them. You know there might be some that are staying in, off the continental shelf. Uh, there might be some living in, t- in in caves and various things like that underneath and, and coming up to the surface occasionally. Uh, oh, Bruce! Yeah, Bruce, a good a good local cryptid, quote unquote, sea monster. Not necessarily the Great Lakes, although Lake Superior would be wonderful to hide one of those. Um, Lake Champlain's Champy, right? Which you know they're saying it's our kind of. America's version of Nessie. Right. I remember you mentioning that during the cryptid thing. Yep. Just throw... Yeah. Hey. To me, it looks like a Plesio store, and there are games that have stats for that. There you go. But, you know, we... There are already published adventures that include things like um, Fishmen. Oh, yeah. And other types of creatures. So, you know, you've got... uh, You can have... I mean, you can really mess with this. Like, you can have intelligent... uh, uh, alligators. You can have uh, mutated animals. You can have uh, some of the the cryptids you're talking about. You can have super. You know, there there was supposedly a problem with uh, uh, right about the time of World War II. There were some problems with the American uh, shipyards because there was there was infestations um, by. Uh, uh, supernatural aquatic creatures at the behest of the Japanese to try to undermine the American war effort by coming in and, and, and causing ah. damage. Yeah, that that's actually in the Bureau 13 timeline. Okay, now, yeah, I, I think I remember, let's see, what was it? Ah, yes, 1942, Japanese water demons, Kappa, attack a merchant ship in San Francisco and the Bureau is there. The fight begins to stop the supernatural sabotage of America's full entry into the Second World War. Yes. Oh yeah, so, I remember. What I'm just saying is that you know, if you aren't using sea monsters, you got a whole lot of of, of shoreline in a, in America that you're you're basically ignoring. So, and just like will the wisps and other things like that, you can have areas in the water that 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 have strange fluorescence and track people out to see what it is, and then. They're never heard from again, <laughs> or they're abducted and uh, used for uh, 
uh, you know, producing mermaid babies. Who knows? I, I did an adventure where uh started off with uh, a, a couple uh, that were a, a you know, royalty mermaid, mer people, and over on uh, uh, near uh, in Oregon. And they came ashore, and they were because you know they wanted to. They, they weren't supposed to be married to each other, so they wanted to get married. They wanted to have a life on the surface, thinking that if they're on the surface, their their people would leave them alone. Well, that was fine until the island-sized crab uh, warrior <laughs> sent by the royal guard shows up and tells the agents that either you find them and send them back, or I will find them and send them back. So, but anyway, so yes, sea monsters definitely make use of these guys because they're they can be anywhere and close by relatively, unless you spend all your time, you know, in uh, in uh, Oklahoma, uh, you're probably going to have an opportunity to run into some sea monsters. And some of the rivers are really big, so sea monsters can come up river quite a ways as well. So you know. The, uh, there's a lot of legends about creatures in uh, the Mississippi. Oh, gin. Genies. Oh, yeah. I have had so much fun with these because, you know, everyone's always expected to be demons and the creatures that can cast magic are going to be elves or demons and things like that. They never think about gin. Okay. And so we, I had a huge colony of gin living in Death Valley. Hmm, okay. And because it's, it's a place that people, you know, I mean, as supernatural creatures, they live underground. Uh, and uh, and they hide their entrances, you know, Alibaba and the 40 Thieves and yeah. all that. So um, the uh, there was a reason why it was, it was so hard to get into that place. It was a magical opening. Uh, and so they lived there. And what had happened was is that um, one of the jinn, uh, realized that the Antichrist had been born, and and he knew, and he decided that he was going to help the Antichrist become all that the Antichrist could be. So he went over and grabbed this person, took him back home to their clan under the uh, uh, in Death Valley, and the demon whose job it was to watch over this slowly, you know, this this uh, growing uh, Antichrist. Uh, suddenly has to go to the bureau and say, I misplaced the Antichrist. Can you guys help me out? If we don't find him real fast, other people are going to get really mad and it's going to be a mess. So the team's like, we have to help out a demon, find the Antichrist. Otherwise, Hellspawn are going to be like erupting everywhere because the demons are going to be like, well, we got to go find them. So, all right, where did you leave them? Retrace your steps. What was the last I know. place you saw your antichrist? Yeah, right. Except that he'd been—he literally had been abducted by a, a jinn, an elder jinn. So, uh, and so they had to go. So it—it was—it was at least you know like ten sessions on this. They just—they ended up finally having a huge battle. Pulled in the uh, shadow oh, orcs. Pulled in wow. everybody they could. Huge, huge battle with the jinn. Finally killed off the head jinn. And what they didn't understand, of course, in my games, there's always unintended consequences. And they scattered. The ones that didn't get killed scattered in all directions. And so now they keep having all these weird things happening off in Arizona and uh, Nevada and other places like that that never happened before because things are traveling <laughs> and resettling in places they never were before because you got rid of the nice, safe place that they had been at for a very long time. See, this is what we mean, folks, by always be careful on how you handle dealing with the supernatural because either, one, you kill something and the power vacuum causes problems, like, with, you know, Wall Street, or if you send them packing, they're going to cause trouble elsewhere. Yeah, right. you got to watch these yeah. people. Right, and I mean, most people don't want to just kill. This is well, they haven't. They're not all bad. They haven't. You know, it's, it's like it's like the people in D and D who say, "Look, if you don't kill all the orcs, including the women and children, then in in three years you're going to have twice as many orcs as you had before." 
And they're all like, we can't engage in genocide. That's evil. <laughs> and you got the uh, the hunters going, uh, you guys just don't get it. They're just looking, they're just looking so, going, you're, you're, you're young. Yeah. Right. And of course, Jin, they, uh, they, they, they do grant favors and wishes and things all, like that. So all you can, folks, GMs out there, wishes are your way of putting, just screwing over your players. Yes, you can screw over your players when you have a genie giving wishes, but you're also going to have your players, if the GM's like me, it's going to stop the game for 20 damn minutes as they're going to try to outword you. <laughs> okay, we want, you know, A, B, C, D, and E. F is not implied, do not go there. And you're it, if you try to get wishes from a genie and you're a game master, it does give you license to mess with your players. You know, because you get to do, you know, as the late, now late, great Regis Philman said, is that your final answer? You know, but it will slow down your game. <laughs> That's when every single law degree comes into existence and you yep, yep, mm, yeah. 50-page contracts. Yeah. Well, well, no, that's yeah. the point, because my gamers okay. know I'm autistic, and semantics is a thing for us. I, As I said, I had, you know, Pixie, her mother, my friend Jaron, who known as Drabel, Oz and Perky Goth, um, I want to say it was somebody else. But they, it stopped my game for 20 minutes, because of the five of them were trying to outward me to make sure <laughs> I did not right. screw them over with this switch. <laughs> yeah. Well, here's the here's the trick, okay? If you use the word and, okay, it's two wishes. Every yep. time you have an yep. and, it's another wish. So if they offer you three wishes and you have two ands in your wish, you just use them all up. There you go. Yep. So, uh, and also sometimes if there's only one wish and you use the word and, they say, ah, well, you screwed it up. Yeah. So you get nothing. Well, no, also, Genie, what they'll do, and I've, and I've read up on this, and this is another way to really... I mean, again, we are not looking for malicious war between players and GMs here. You're collaborative storytelling here. But I'm sure that Bruce and I have both done this on occasion. Where, yeah, you get your, your, your wish, but there are consequences. Let's say you get that one guy who says, you know what? You get it. You get a genie, and you get your wishes. I want a million gold pieces. The genie genies are not always good. As a matter of fact, I think they. I know at least Efridi are lawful evil. So they'll do something like, "Yes, yes, master, you will get your million gold pieces." They will actively steal it from all the people immediately close by, which means, yeah. Here comes this group of nobles with their armies coming after you because your Ifrit stole their money to give you the million gold pieces. You gotta watch it with genies because they will find ways. Yeah, I gave you your money. You have to deal with the consequences of the people I took that money from. What, you think I can just manifest gold pieces? What, what kind of genie do you think I am? I gave you what you wanted. This is beyond me. I'm done. You gotta... I'm not... Unless you, oh, and you—that was your third wish. Oh darn! I I won't be able to help you fight off these, these these nobles and their armies. You know where I got the gold pieces from. Oh, so, yeah, that's an yeah. yeah. Everybody in everybody everybody in the state loses their wedding rings. Yeah, and <laughs> so you get yeah, so you get you know a million dollars worth because you just happen to take you know the five richest wedding rings in the state, and now you got to deal with you know. A very cheese off new bride, you know, or may all maybe all of them. You said I want like a, a you know uh, like a thousand gold pieces or a million a million gold pieces. Well, a million people just lost their wedding rings, and maybe it takes three or four wedding rings to make a gold piece. So, you know, now that's four million people just lost their yeah, wedding but, rings. Yeah, but either way, genies and whatnot. That's a they're another good way to, as I said again. This is not a war we're trying to do here. You're not being in competition with your players, and the players are not with the GM. 
It's collaborative storytelling. It just shows that the concept of the wish has consequences. Some things, some magics are better left untampered with. And if you sit there and do something like that, you're going to get burned in some way. <laughs> yeah, well, in the in the adventure I ran, uh, the the genie said, you know, Jin uh, said, look, I made a promise to this person, you know, that I would help them become everything that they could be. So I'll tell you what, you leave me and him uh, and this person alone, and uh, I'll give you a wish. Whatever you want, I'll give it to you. I'm an, I'm an elder djinn. There's really almost nothing I can't do. And they're all like, oh gosh. <laughs> do we, do we let, do we let the Antichrist be unleashed upon the world, but we get our wish? Or do we kill the Antichrist and then we lose something that might make the difference between the earth being destroyed in the next 10 years? That was fun. As I'm, as, as I'm doing the weighing motions with each hand going, eh, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, they'd already run into, you know, they, they, they'd already had the adventure where there was a possibility that the uh, alien uh, armada might show up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this could be their protection against the alien armada, but they have to let the Antichrist go. Ah. All right. So, and that's, of course, always what we want to do in Bureau 13. We always want to make them make those hard choices, you know, those those morally ambiguous, you know, uh, situations where you never really win and you never really lose, you know, but you keep soldiering forward and you, hopefully you did it in a way that made you feel like you got to, you know, if everybody walks away thinking they got something but not 100% satisfied, that's called a good deal. <laughs> that's, that's, that's the way it is in life. So well, let's see. You're still you're still alive. You can you get to see the next sunrise. Yeah, call it a win. Right. So uh, don't don't uh, you know you know don't forget about these kinds of creatures because they're they're not the only ones. I mean, some of the fae can do it. Uh, certainly, uh, the gods can do it. Uh, whether they be uh, new gods, uh, forgotten gods, old gods. Uh, so. Just, uh, it's okay to have this as part of your game. It's, uh, it's fun. Uh, it's just like anything else. It's like salt. You don't want to pour a whole container of it on. But, uh, every once in a while, it can be a big deal. And I know that a lot of people are afraid to do it because they're afraid of, of, of having to nerf it. But I would say that, you know, the players will give you opportunities to, Nerf whatever it is that you that you gave them, if, even if they get what they want. So re- rely on your players to give you the uh, uh, the story hooks you need in order to make your your campaign awesome. And uh, don't uh, don't try to be too controlling. <laughs> uh, one other, real quick, um, and I'm going to branch off on what John brought up about non corporeal intelligences. Yeah, hive minds. Yeah. Now the most famous one is like the Rat Swarm, and I did that one for the Saturday game as well. Yeah, you go to New York. Well, what what what's one of the biggest thing problems in New York? There's a lot of rats in a lot of those buildings. What they all start acting in unison. So you're having to go in and fake, you know, like yeah, we're from this, you know, extermination company here over on Forty Fifth. Yeah, we got a rat <laughs> rat infestation in this building. Y'all gonna have to leave, you know. And just, yeah, it was fun to just, oh, look, a rat swarm. And, of course, they're in the bestiary, but it's multiple ones. Yeah. Who hasn't seen uh, uh, Joe's apartment? Oh, yeah, with the cockroaches. Oh, yeah. Jerry O'Connell, yeah. Oh, no, and they and even in Bureau 13D20, it says not just rats. You can use other type of ant. And they even bring up one duck is not a problem. What What is it? Let's Let's do the... One duck is cute. A thousand ducks is a load of droppings, noise, and traffic congestion. Oh no, I had, and and I never really ran the adventure, I just did it as backstory for the original Team Candlestick, and I have to actually thank Jerry Gentry and Anna Marie Moore, who helped with, you know, the playtesting. Um, and, like Foxworthy says, if I'm lying, I'm dying. Roast Chicken Zombies. Apparently some company decided to add a little something to their 
roast chickens and end up animating them. Yeah, they only did one point of damage as they're bumping their drumsticks up against you. But, you know, getting swarmed by them, that could be a problem. So, still, hive minds of any type. And you could even add... Pummeled by poultry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pummeled by poultry. Film at 11. Um, yeah, but the concept of the hive mind... Eat- Down to buy dinner. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, it's like, wait a minute. What is this that the dinner's biting back? No, this is not what I signed on for. Anyways... You have the concept of the hive mind. As I said, it could be as simple as swarms of animals, or it could be swarms of humans, you know, by that non-corporeal intelligence Jonathan mentioned earlier. Some forces, you know, some psionic forces linking these humans together to act where they all talk like this. Hi, we're here to help you if you come with us. We'll make sure that you aren't bothered by anything ever again. Where you have that look of <laughs> in your eyes, and I'm sure that Bruce knows me and knows the type of look I'm making. And just, yes, everything mm-hmm. will be fine if you just come with us. You know, you know, kind of a Stepford Wives kind of thing going, you know. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, the, uh, the children. Children of the corn? Yeah. Uh, not children of corn, but the, but the ones where all the women got pregnant one night, and uh, I can't oh, remember. Yeah. It was it, it was an English movie. They were all, basically an alien uh, intelligence basically came down and made all the women pregnant, and then all the children that were born, they were all connected by a hive mind together, and they had psionic powers and such. And the, the human that sounded a little the, bit the like the Umbrella Academy on Netflix. There, just all, all yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, but they the. You know, but the parents are like, these aren't our kids. We may have produced them, but they're not our kids. And you know, and and, and the parents finally had to, you know, like to call, to call it in the army, and they're like, say, go, go get them, get rid of them, get rid of them. They're not ours. They're not human. And they're all like, well, they're these cute little kids and little little suits and and little you know little party dresses and things like that with long blonde oh, hair. So mean, what are you asking us to right. do? Oh, so Purple mean, eyes. Oh, so you mean all all the little boys had the the suits? They were. Oh no, the one thing that creeped me out in the nineties. And, and nothing against Mazda. I'm not mouthing their the car company, but that Zoom Zoom kid. Oh, he scared the crap out of me. <laughs> I'm seeing a million of them little little. Yeah, and no, 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 no. I'm sorry. That ad campaign just weirded me out. You know, you're sitting there. Oh, when the car is driving, you see the little kid looking like he's out of the damn omen coming up and going zoom zoom. I'm like, get this kid away from me. I'm looking at the TV. I'm changing the channel because it scared the crap out of me. A million of them little, you know what's coming. Oh, no. No, and I'm not <laughs> saying anything against kids here, but kill them with fire. Just get them. No, done. GM throws that at me. That's where I just, you know, throw the dice on the table and I'm done here. No, no. A million Zoom Zoom kids, not a good thing. They're too cute to kill. You can't. You can't try that with me, Bruce. I'm a parent. All three of us here are parents. You can't try that with me. Yeah, yeah, I know, yeah, yeah. I know. We know, we know, we know how evil the children really are. All right, okay. Well, thanks everybody for listening to us. We hope we give you some ideas about how to spice up your games. Oh yeah, maybe stretch out your wings a little bit. Try something more than the traditional, you know, vampire, werewolf, ghost, uh, you know, creature, uh, you know, uh, mage, witch, uh, zombie. Yeah. zombie uh, kind of thing that seems to be the go-to for everybody. You know, stop stop basically running the same six stories. Instead, you know, try some, some stuff. Bring in some local color. You know, do those things that make your campaign much more interesting and your players will love you for it because, you know, that's what they're there for. They're there to have that kind of crazy, interesting time where they get to use their imagination. And I still remember, you know, J.P. Withers in the middle of an adventure looking at me and saying, I know exactly what's going on. It's mutant zombie clones from Mars. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I looked at him and I said, you could be right, J.P. You could be right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we'll have more for you next week. So, until then. This is Bruce Sheffer saying, 
There are a million, million worlds out there, so go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Gaming on the Frontier podcast is wholly owned by its hosts. It is released under the Creative Commons 3.0 license. No commercial reproduction and any use of any element of the podcast must be attributed to the Gaming on the Frontier podcast. Hi, this is Trav from the Travcast. Listen to me Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern on listen.dementiaradio.org colon 8027.